Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go go to court. court. On this episode, I'll talk about the time Carol Burnett sued the National Enquirer. And I'll be talking about the perfect couple. Or were they? No, they were not. They oh. never are. <laughs> Unless they're me and Nor. Okay. Uh. <laughs> or you and David, who is in the room with us right now. David is sitting in like a creepy guy in the background. <laughs> okay. Should we tell the truth? Like, we all went out to dinner. Yeah. And then you sent David home. <laughs> And Norman and I were like, what? <laughs> Why can't David stay? <laughs> he was going to come pick back, like, come back and pick me up after we were done recording. Well, he's not your mom and this is not junior high. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, David doesn't have a mic, but just know that he's saying all kinds of things about you guys right yes. now. <laughs> Why are you doing like the Richard Nixon? <laughs> he was recently impeached. Okay. It's not, not nice to bring up. Kristen, did you hear about the latest stuff? Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. You guys, this is Brandy's new favorite joke. It never gets old to her. Why don't you tell the joke, Brandy? All right. So I text Kristen all the time about mm-hmm. the impeachment stuff. And I'm like, did you hear the latest thing? Because Norm and I, Norm's on the same page with me. And Kristen's very hopeful that something's going to happen. <laughs> and Norm and I are like, nothing's going to fucking happen. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know what? I'm a cynic, just like you guys. And you know what? It's going to be just a dumpster fire from here okay, on out. Okay, listen. I am not cynical. I'm really not a cynical person. No, I know nothing's going to happen. It, thank you. I know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, what if my case is about the perfect couple and how they lived happily ever after forever? Well, I think that'd be pretty shitty on a true crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, did you get this from a Dateline episode? Uh, no, I didn't. Actually. 48 hours? No. Keep what, guessing. What show? <laughs> 2020. No. Investigation discovery. Some crap no. on there. No. Well, it's, it's, an, it's an oxygen program. Oh, no. What is it? Who the bleep did I marry? Snapped. <gasps> okay. okay. But full disclosure, there is a snapped episode about this. I read an article posted by Oxygen. I didn't actually watch the episode. Mm. It's hard to find because it's an older one. Okay. Okay. Anyway. All right. Well, I was going to go into my spiel, but you know all right not how they sell it as like everybody's perfectly happy and did they see it coming yeah but should they have seen it coming but when when it's snapped you know someone's gonna snap but like it's the lady but on dateline in 2020 they're like they were the perfect family until the son murdered everyone (laughs) you know come on which does sound like a me case yeah All right. Shall we get down to business? Uh, Yeah. This feels weird because I went first on our last episode because like the recording. Like anyway, people, people people are going to be so thrown off. People don't come here for our problems. People are going to be so thrown off because I went first on episode 102 and I go first on odd numbered episodes. Are you trying to get me to do a flippity flip? No, I don't want your flippity (laughs) flip. I will happily go first. I'm just saying it's a lot of episodes in a row for me to go first. (laughs) (laughs) Such a hard job. (laughs) 
Okay, as I mentioned, there is a snapped episode about this case. I didn't watch it, but I did read this great article that was posted by Oxygen about this written by Benjamin H. Smith. And then I got some more info from the court record and from the Lawrence Journal World. Oh, okay. Hmm. Is that a clue, Kristen? Well, it tells me that it happened in Kansas. Mm, It sure did. Mm. Sure did. So I was feeling like I was missing my roots a little bit. You know, hadn't done a case about Johnson County in a while. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm not doing the case you think I'm doing. Okay, Miss Cleo, which one am I thinking of? Bitter Harvest. Which one's that? The doctor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, you did. I'm not doing that case. I knew you were going to. I knew that's what you were going to say. I do. Okay, I do 100% plan to do that case. So dibs right now. My grandma actually just gave me the book. So I. Okay. No, this is a case I had previously not heard about. I literally Googled murder and Johnson. <laughs> and you're like done that done that yeah. done that and then i was like what's this okay. i've never heard of this yeah so this happens in johnson county overland park specifically oh, in God. 2001 really yeah okay tyler block was reinventing herself so much so that she changed her name from phyllis to tyler oh well good good change good, it is a, it's a solid change <laughs> By 1998, her third marriage had ended, and despite her success as a nail tech and nail salon owner, she decided that it was time for a change. So she had decided to follow in the footsteps of her most recent ex-husband, Michael Block. Now, as in H&R Block? Not as in H&R Block, but if you are from Kansas City Metro or live in and around the Kansas City Metro, that name might sound somewhat familiar. So the Block family, to which Michael belonged, owns and operates one of the largest commercial real estate companies companies in the area. Hmm. So Block Real Estate is a big commercial real estate company. Also, H&R Block was founded here. Yes. Was, so I yes. don't want people to be like thinking that I'm some idiot. No, okay, no, no. Block, yes. H&R yeah. Block was found here. H&R Block's headquarters is here. Yes. So that yeah. was not a bad guess. But no, this is Block Real Estate. Okay. But thank huge, you. I'm so insecure. Huge commercial real estate company here in the Kansas City metro area. Okay. And Michael Block is like one of the main brokers in the company. It's like him and a cousin and a brother and whatever. Gotcha. So Tyler, well, she was Phyllis when she was married to Michael. Mm -hmm. So she gets divorced from Michael, changes her name to Tyler and decides she is going to go into real estate. So newly reinvented Tyler, sold her nail salon and decided to try her hand at the real estate game. It was this career change that brought Ed Patton Jr. into Tyler's life. So he was actually kind of a well-known guy in the Kansas city area who's like known as a playboy and a bachelor by the time he met tyler he was well into his 40s and he had been married once before but not for long like the relationship i guess didn't last long and he had been single for a very long time his parents had started ed Patton realtors which was a pretty big realty company here in kansas city like it started like in the late 50s and had operated until the 90s when ed was working for them and ed liked to call himself a trust fund kid but he actually did work in the family business as well he liked to call That's himself? What, he, according to this article, he was self-described as a trust button kid. That's weird. I know. I think it's a weird thing, too. Uh-huh. So his dad, the founder of the company, Ed Patton, died like in 1987, but he had left a trust fund behind for Ed Jr. And so he started receiving money off of that. So in addition to making money off of his real estate dealings, he also was making money off of his inheritance, mm-hmm. though his mom was still alive. So he worked in real estate, and that's how he ended up meeting Tyler. But 
But Tyler was pretty serious and was taking her new job real estate pretty seriously. And Ed was a big jokester, big partier, into drugs. And so it was an interesting match in the beginning. It was definitely a case of opposites attract. But people said when they got together, they just meshed perfectly and they balanced one another out and they became this perfect couple. They met in 1998 and were inseparable. A little bit about this. So there's not that much information available about this case outside of like this oxygen article and the court records. But when I saw that it was Kansas City Real Estate Company, yeah, I went to my sources. Okay. AKA my dad. <laughs> so my dad owns a sign company and they make, you know, mainly real estate signs. And so right. I went to talk to my dad about it and I was like, do you know? Because I had never heard of Ed Patton Realtors. No. And my dad's like, yeah, we used to do all our signs. They That's used to, they, weird. Yeah, they used to be client of my dad's company. So my grandpa owned the company before my dad did. My dad owns it now. And then my sister is the office manager there. So a real family owned business. And so, yeah, they did signs for Ed Patton Realty. Huh. And so Ed and Tyler get together and they marry in February of 2000. And things were pretty good. No, they were first. the perfect couple. Everybody thought they were the perfect couple, Kristen. Mm-hmm. They moved into a house. And OK, you know, this kills me. What? I could you couldn't find, find the, the address. address. I could not find the address. The only address that I could find that was registered to both Ed and Tyler was a mailboxes, etc. address. That had to just rip you to shreds. It sure did. Okay. <laughs> so again, I went to my dad <laughs> and he believes if he, and this checks out with some stuff that's mentioned later, he believes that they live somewhere around 95th and Knoll in Overland Park. Okay. So picture the old Metcalf South Mall. Mm-hmm. There are several neighborhoods back behind that. So somewhere in that area. So for people who lived. are not from here, what does that mean? It means very suburban, upper, right. yeah, okay. upper middle class. Everything's beige. Yes. Got yes. it. Heart of Johnson County. Yeah. So it is now January of 2001. So they've been married almost a year. About Again, time to call it quits. Perfect right? couple. Okay. Everybody says they're the perfect match. Again, Ed had not wanted to settle down until Tyler came into his life. And then he was ready to hang up his, I don't know, what do you hang up when you're not going to sleep around anymore? All I can think of, think of is who's better? of your boots, boots been under, under but that's not, that's not right hang up your hat hang up your hat I don't know but you you know you can anyway he was yeah, ready to yeah. settle down and and yeah okay stick it to one woman ew okay. is that gross yes that's gross <laughs> also romantic yes yeah, so romantic <laughs> okay so it's January 16th 2001, about 9.30 p.m. Overland Park police get a call. It's from Tyler Patton. Mm-hmm. She says that she's sitting outside of her home that she shared with Ed. Uh, address, please. I don't have it, Christian. <laughs> I just feel really disappointed in myself. That it wasn't, <laughs> you would not believe down. the amount of time I, I spent know, trying I'm, to find I'm it. I'm sorry, and it's mean that I'm teasing you. <laughs> Part of the problem is that Ed dies here. Oh, oh. Um, and it was in 2001. And so his address record stopped in 2001. And so most of that's not available online. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So they get a call from Tyler. She says she's sitting outside of their home, that she had come home to see Ed, and that she'd gone in and found the place ransacked, and that she thought she heard somebody upstairs. And so she had run out of the house and called the police. She said she hadn't talked to Ed since the previous day. She had been staying at another property that they own. So once they got married, they started buying up properties and like flipping them and selling them because remember okay. this is the early 2000s. Yeah. Real estate market's booming. Hey, they had another good eight years of that. That's so, right. Yeah. So they, so yeah, so they've been flipping properties. So she was just staying at another one of their properties because Ed had the flu and he didn't want her staying there and getting sick. Okay. And so the police show up 
They get to the house. They go in through the front door, which is unlocked. And I believe that Tyler doesn't remember if she unlocked the door or found it unlocked. But they go in and they see that the place, yeah, there's shit all over the place. The house has definitely been gone through. There's debris everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they call out for Ed. They call out his name and say, are you in here? No response. And so two police officers head towards the stairs and they notice immediately blood spatter on like the railing or the wall, like heading up the staircase. They go up the stairs and they head to the master bedroom. Mm -hmm. And as they get there, there is an undeniable stench that meets them the closer they get to the bedroom. In the bedroom, they find Ed Patton Jr. laying in the bed covered by two blankets. And he is very clearly deceased. Mm -hmm. And he has been bludgeoned to death so severely that his face is un recognizable. Oh my. The blankets have been pulled up over him and then another blanket has been placed on top of that. Near him they find a large shard of wood. It looks like it's broken off of some other larger piece of wood which they believe to be the murder weapon. Like a two by four? Like a two by four. Exactly like a two by four. Okay. So yeah. So there's like a shard of a two by four laying there covered in blood but the rest of the two by four is missing. So they bring in you know the crime scene investigators all that. They secure the scene. They start going through. They go down to the basement and in the basement they find like all of this like drug paraphernalia and marijuana and cocaine like all spread out almost on display Uh (laughs) uh-huh and so at this point they're like okay this is looking a bit odd well it's just a drug potluck (laughs) yeah and so they start taking a little bit closer look at the scene and yes the house has been ransacked Nothing of value was taken? No, there's a Gucci watch sitting on the table. Hmm, well, you don't want that. That's too flashy. (laughs) (laughs) And they start looking around and nothing of value seems to be missing. There's all kinds of stuff out that is worth plenty of money. Uh It's not missing. They have Tyler at some point come through and talk about what she sees that's missing from the scene. All that she can come up with is a lamp with some kind of halogen bulb and computer speakers. Nothing of value. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely striking them as odd. And then there is the condition of Ed's body. This is not to seasoned investigators. This is not how you find a body of someone who has interrupted a burglary or who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong right. time. It's way too personal. Way, way too personal. This is a rage killing. Yeah. Yeah. And so as the investigation moves forward, a couple of things are kind of uncovered. First is the fact that Tyler told them that she had spoken to Ed the prior day. And Ed has been dead at least 48 hours. Oh. Yes. Ooh. So that's not great. Yeah, he is in an advanced stage of decomposition. So he has been dead at least 48 hours. I've never heard of anyone being caught like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they find the murder weapon wrapped in a bloody towel on the back porch of the home. Okay. So yeah, somebody who has fled the scene doesn't typically wrap the murder weapon in a towel and then drop it on the back porch. No. So they bring Tyler in and they talk to her and she has all kinds of ideas and explanations. Mm -hmm for them. Yeah. So first, you know, they talk about the drugs that they found. She's like, well, yeah, you know, our marriage was perfect. There wasn't a thing wrong with it. We got along perfectly. We were the perfect couple with the exception of his drug problem. You know, he used to be and still has signs of addiction. And really, that's the only place that we would argue. It's like, yeah, we have the perfect relationship, except he's like a raging drug addict. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. No. 
And so they're like, okay, well, great. And already this isn't making sense to them because of well, the way that the drugs had been like spread out. Yeah, you out. said they it were... was multiple types of drugs. Okay, so obviously I'm not a drug user, right. but like my guess is you don't do all the drugs mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, and you don't have them like spread out like that. So they also found like a prescription pill bottle that was like dropped in the backyard of the property and it had like a bunch of medications that had been combined into the one pill bottle. And then they found all of the original pill bottles for those in the trash can inside the house. Somebody who's breaking in the house to try and get the drugs is not combining them all into (laughs) one bottle, taking the time to throw those other bottles away and then oops, dropping the bottle on the way out of the house. Well, they don't want you to have to deal with all those empties. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, this woman was beyond stupid. It's not great. It's not great at all. She didn't consume enough true crime stuff. She clearly did not. So again, it's 2001. So they had Barbara Walters was on (laughs) 2020. They had Diane Sawyer on, was it Dateline? She was on. Yeah. Yeah, no excuses. No excuses. My point is that there just wasn't the same information available all right, as there all was right, today. All right. <laughs> And so they're like, okay, well, you know, can you think of anybody who might have besides yourself wanted to harm Ed in any way? And she said, you know, with his drug problem, he did deal with a lot of nefarious people. So Mm -hmm. the only thing I could think of is that, you know, it was a drug deal gone wrong or that he, you know, somehow upset a drug dealer and that they came and did this to him. And they're like, "Uh uh uh-huh, okay. Any other ideas? And she's like, well, actually, I do have another idea, too. Um, (laughs) So my half-brother he is always borrowing money from us and I recently cut him off and I wasn't giving him any more money and he was very upset about it and you know Ed and I actually usually sleep on the opposite sides of the bed we had just switched no. sides of the bed no. so I am thinking no. that maybe my half brother came and he thought he was killing me when oops he accidentally killed Ed instead that is the dumbest thing I have ever no, heard no this is a great alternate theory <laughs> Come on. Yeah. It's not good. It's really not looking good for Tyler. Well. <laughs> but imagine how hard it is to solve crimes. And then you get one like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd be like, blessed. Yeah. No kidding. So they've talked to Tyler. They're not believing a word, she says. And they're looking more into the crime scene. They run a DNA test on the murder weapon that was found. Turns, Turns out. out she's 100% the murderer. <laughs> Tyler's DNA is all over that two by four. There's multiple blood samples taken from the bedroom and only two people's DNA comes back from mm, those blood samples. They're both now? Ed and mm-hmm. Tyler's. Same thing with a blood mark that was like on the railing or the stairway somewhere. It comes back to Tyler. Tyler has fresh cuts on her hands. Don't worry, because she has explanations for all of this. This is so stupid. <laughs> Man, they had to really milk this for an entire episode of Snow. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, it's a good thing you didn't watch it. <laughs> so, don't you want to hear Tyler's explanation? For I all would this? love it. May I guess? Yes. So, cuts on the hands? Yeah. Um, nail tech stuff? I mean, I know she. That's not a bad all guess. Right, all right. Thank you. No, but no. Okay. So, remember, she's staying at their property that they're renovating to sell. Mm-hmm. She was sanding cabinets. Oh, well, that'll bang you up. Yes. Okay. She's been sanding cabinets, getting them ready to refinish. So, that's where the cuts on her hands come from. Mm hmm. 
DNA on the two by four. Okay. Well, I mean, there's no there's no explanation for no. that. No. That two by four was purchased for a home project. She purchased it, brought it to the house. Of course her DNA is going to be on it. There was just one two by four at that house? <laughs> yeah. She purchased that one two by four for a home project. How many projects do we do with like <laughs> one two by four? Okay. Yeah, she was going to make herself a live, laugh, love sign. <laughs> Not a one, two, by four. So autopsy results come back and their suspicions are correct. This has yeah. definitely been a rage killing. He was hit at least eight times with this two by four. Like that's not anybody but someone who has. Norm, do you need to get in a more comfortable position? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, Norm? I'm just relaxing. Okay, you, you look, look really so uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Looks like you're mid crunch. Yeah, you're going to have amazing abs by the end of this episode. Oh, well, I'll keep going. Okay, <laughs> so you guys, he's on the love peanut, seat and Peanut is, he was trying to make Peanut's kind of peanut. in my spot. But, yeah, oh, and it's just poor, not working. Oh, out. I'm sorry, poor Panut. Sorry, nut. Now she thinks you're 100 percent that bitch. <laughs> I know. Okay, I should be good now. <laughs> so yeah, they they identify this two by four as the murder weapon. It's big, but bang, it was boom. really just DIY gone DIY wrong. DIY gone wrong. That's right. And that's when they narrow down that, like, he has definitely been dead longer than Tyler has said that since the last time she spoke to him. Mm -hmm. So they bring Tyler back in and they want to talk to her again. And she walks them through kind of what had happened in the days prior to Ed's death. Because the day that she said she last spoke to Ed, or Uh no, I'm sorry, it was the day that she discovered Ed's body or discovered the house had been ransacked. Uh She left him nine voicemails that day. Okay. So each time she ran an errand that day, she called and filled him in and left him a voicemail. She wasn't concerned or anything? No. Uh-uh. Because he had the flu, Kristen. So right. he's probably just sleeping it off. Okay. She talks them through her whole day. And it's one of those things where someone has clearly been trying to come up with an alibi. And I've got a receipt from there uh-huh. and a receipt from there. And I remember and down to the minute at exactly which place I went to. Yeah, she went to all kinds of places all around like the 95th and Metcalf area. She went to name brand clothing. Home Depot, Sears, Walmart. She's got receipts. She mm-hmm. knows exactly what time she left here, exactly what time she made it there. She remembers having a meeting at the new home to talk about somebody to come and do a dry basement thing. And what time that person left. She, her parents were in town. So she went and visited them at their hotel for 31 minutes. And <laughs> the two houses, the house that... Hold on. Did, I'm sorry to back you up. Yeah. Did she go to Half of Half Name Brand Clothing? I'm guessing that's what that, that is. That place is disgusting. I don't remember another store called Name Brand Clothing. So I'm guessing that's what that that's is. That's not still there, is it? It is still there. Oh, God. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Oh, the things that survive. Cockroaches mm-hmm. and half of half name brand clothing. <laughs> she went to the bank. She's got a bank receipt. She's got all kinds of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing about the two residences, so the house that they're renovating and that she's staying in because Ed has the flu. Why do you say it like that, Brandy? Clearly this place was ransacked by <laughs> drug users. <laughs> And then the house where Ed was at are very close to each other. So each time she's going from one location to the next, like when she's going to these stores and stuff, she's driving past the home where Ed is at. And so they ask her if she noticed anything odd. And she said she did notice that there were no lights on in the house. And that did seem off to her because usually there would be at least something on, you know, the living room light, the light by the window, something like that. And she had noticed that no lights were on and that she thought that was a little bit odd, but not odd enough to stop and, and check on anything. So the phone call that she talks about having 
thing with Ed the day before his body was discovered when we already know that Ed is dead. He called her and said he missed her and wished that she would come home, but that he was sick and didn't want to get her sick. Okay. So how long in this story, Uh how long did they go without seeing each other because he was sick? So according to Tyler, just a couple days. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. If David had the flu, would you really just like take off? No! Exactly. And especially if you were driving by, wouldn't you at least stop in and be like, do you need some soup? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, this is absolutely. Yes. And they're in the honeymoon phase of their marriage. So come on. So they're doing some more searching of the crime scene and trying to figure things out. And laughing the whole time. I mean, this is ridiculous. And they come across some information that Ed had kind of tucked away. Oh, no. They find a diary of his that's like written on the cover, Tyler time. And it's like a list of all the times that they've gotten into arguments and what she's pissed about and all the things what? that she's unhappy with in the marriage. Yes, he Wait. makes a note of it like every time. Really? Yes, he's got like a whole journal of arguments that they've had. Yes. Oh, that's creepy. Uh-huh. And like the final entry is January 2nd. And then they find a recorded conversation of a (gasps) fight between the two of them. Oh, this is so sad. Where Tyler says that she's done. She's not in love with him. She's unhappy with their marriage. She's unhappy with their situation. He doesn't make enough money. He was lying about how well to do he was when he, you know, wooed her and she wants a nicer home and all of this and that she's done and she's moving out of the house and she's going to go live in the other house that they had just purchased that they're renovating. Wow. So her story about him having the flu and her just staying at this other yeah, house and is complete having the perfect lie. marriage. Yeah. And so as they start like talking to people who know them, lots of people knew this. Lots of people knew that they had had a fight at the beginning of January and that she'd moved out of the house. Of course. She's just an idiot, I swear. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is terrible. Yeah. This is so sad to me because it makes me think of Nicole Brown Simpson, how she had, Mm -hmm. didn't she have like a safety deposit box with Mm -hmm. all these photos and like evidence of abuse? Yeah. And here Ed had Uh this log that he kept. Yeah. Of basically all this verbal abuse that he was dealing with and how he... I'm going to get, I mean, maybe he didn't, did he write down any physical abuse? I just don't think you start with the two by four. You're probably right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, not that she did or anything. Yeah. Uh, I will say also that the autopsy determined that there were no kinds of defensive wounds on (gasps) Ed uh, in any way. So he was either incapacitated or in such a deep sleep when he was attacked that he did not fight back in any way. Wow. Yeah. So obviously they arrest Tyler Mm -hmm. and they charge her with the murder of her husband, Ed Patton Jr. Was she like, what? What? This isn't me. Have you guys looked at my half brother? And actually they did. They brought. You've got to cross people off your list. They brought in the half brother. They interrogated him. He had an alibi. It wasn't him. Like it was very clearly Mm -hmm. Tyler. And she did just a terrible job of trying to cover this up. Well, I guess if you kill someone in a rage. Well, that's true. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. If you're if you've killed someone in a rage and then you're going back to try and cover it up after the fact. Yeah, that is true. I hadn't even thought about that. Well, this is why we do this together, Brandy. (laughs) 
So, like, the big thing at trial was the state brought an expert. Did she plead not guilty? She pled not guilty. <gasps> what? She pled not guilty, and they tried to I put was on waiting for the plea deal. No plea deal. She pled not guilty, and they tried to put on a defense that it was anybody but her. Okay. They pointed the finger at this drug dealer that Ed knew. So, Ed was a known associate of this drug dealer that was murdered back in 1992, and, like, that drug dealer's sister's address was in ed's address book oh, like okay the most ridiculous defense you've ever heard like yeah. just anybody else it could have been well i mean they, that's what yeah, that's all what you can, can do, do right yeah other than take a plea deal mm-hmm. i don't know why she didn't take a plea deal because she was not guilty brandy <laughs> she was innocent yeah So the big thing that the state put on was like how staged the crime scene was. They brought in this expert whose whole like job is to come look at a crime scene. And then this is really interesting to me. I didn't even know this was a thing. But to weigh the condition of the crime scene against like the risk of the person's lifestyle and see if they are compatible at all. So like what is this person's risk factor in life? And then what does the crime scene look like? And do they match up? And so... That's fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. Yeah. So, and he said that he found nothing that led to a risky enough lifestyle that someone... Yeah, would do this. Would do this. Exactly. And that to him, the crime scene 100% looked staged with only like three things missing from it, none of which were of actual value, while items of actual value were left behind. Mm -hmm. Like this was a very staged crime scene and it was staged by someone who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. Didn't have like the slightest thought in their head of what they should have done. Mm-hmm. Did Tyler get kind of offended that they were calling her dumb in court? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then an expert comes on and talks about the DNA and they talk about how, yes, Tyler's DNA was found on the two by four, but it wasn't just transfer DNA. It wasn't just skin cell DNA. Her blood was found at the scene. And there's like a, a one in 53.9 billion chance that it's anybody but her. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the blood stains. So I mentioned this earlier, but here I have the exact location. So the blood stains were found on a blanket on the bed. So like there was the blanket that he was covered with. And then there was that other blanket that was on top of that. So her That's blood That's the was other found. thing is if you didn't know the person, why would you cover, cover them, them with a blanket afterward? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So on like the secondary blanket he was covered with, her blood was found on. Her blood was found on the dresser, which was like where that shard of the two by four was found. So Mm -hmm. there's that piece of the murder weapon that was found there. And there's a blood sample taken from there. And that matched Tyler's DNA. Yeah. And then there was a blood stain on the dryer knob. Like someone had like tried to do some laundry, maybe clean some blood stains out of their clothing. And that matched Tyler's DNA. Yeah. Uh, Come on. Yes. And then they found like a tissue in her car that had blood on it. So Mm -hmm. that's not as damning to me because... I mean, you could get a nosebleed in your car, I guess. And Was it her blood? Yes, it was her blood. Okay, well, yeah, that's not... Yeah, so there's so much DNA evidence here. I mean, this here. is ridiculous. Yeah. I know, I don't understand what her... Like, why not take a plea deal? You really thought you were going to get out, get off on this? She was delusional. I mean, did this trial last two days? I mean, there's just nothing the defense can say. Right. And so another expert, or I guess not an expert, but like a forensic financial person mm-hmm. came in and talked 
talked about the couple's finances and how they were doing fine financially. But should Ed die, that the inheritance that he was getting from his trust fund, that would go to her. He had like a $103,000 like insurance mm. policy or something that mm. would go to her. And so she stood to gain substantial funds if he didn't exist anymore. Wow. Yeah. So what this forensic accountant guy found out, though, is that when that fight had happened on the second, Ed had actually gone in and tried to change the beneficiary on that $103,000 policy. Whoa. Yes, away from Tyler. Oh, this is so upsetting. Yeah, yeah. This is so scary to me when people know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, as I mentioned, the defense tactic was to just point their finger at any other person. They called a bunch of people and talked about how Ed was this known drug user and how he had, you know, rubbed elbows with all kinds of bad people and Mm -hmm. anybody could have done this to him. Okay. At one point, this one witness was talking about some... Okay, so this woman's name is Nancy Pratt and she's called as a witness by the defense and she had knowledge of somebody else whose name they did not release, but somebody close to the patents had told her about the murder before the information had been released to the public. And so she is testifying on the defense's behalf that she was given knowledge about this murder before anything was released to the public. And so that person had ties to drug dealers or something like that. So she is testifying. And at one point, she gets reprimanded by the judge because her daughter was sitting in like the gallery Mm -hmm. and they were communicating back and forth to each other while she was on the stand. Not verbally, but they were like signaling each other and the judge saw it and he got pissed. Called a recess. He excused the jury. He told this witness that he was going to throw her daughter out of court. And they were like, we're not talking. We weren't communicating with each other. And he's like, don't lie to me. I saw it. And finally, Nancy admit her daughter had her car keys and she thought her daughter was going to get up and leave with her car keys. That's what she tries to claim. Not that they were trying to like share information or give some kind of signal to tell some specific story. That's weird. Yeah. He threatened to ban the daughter from court for the rest of the trial. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the judge picked up on, but he thought for sure he picked up on something. Something fishy was going on. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, this trial was, I mean, open and shut. Like, yeah, there's plenty of evidence. The jury deliberated for four and a half hours and they find her guilty of of first degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. So she will be eligible for parole in 2026. Wow. Of course, she appealed her conviction (gasps) on so many fucking grounds, like nine different reasons. And it's all ridiculous. Of course. Of course <laughs> All it is. her appeals were denied. The thing about the judge reprimanding the witness, that was one of the reasons. The jury saw part of that and that could have tainted the jury pool. The fact that the defense wanted to bring in a bunch of information about Ed's past and his drug use and all of that. And that wasn't allowed because it was considered, you know, we talk about this a lot, actually, like yeah. previous bad acts and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So the defense thought that that was pertinent information because it showed that he had dealings with people who may have wanted to harm him at some point in his life. Everything that they wanted to present happened like early 90s, though. Yeah, give me a break. If people were mad about that, they would have done something. And so the judge hadn't allowed it in. And so they appealed on that part, that the judge should have allowed that in. All kinds of stuff like that. And all of them were denied. And she remains in prison in Topeka today. Wow. Yeah. The worst attempt at a murder cover-up I've ever heard of. Yeah. Girlfriend was dumb. Yeah. Thank God, though. No kidding. Poor Ed. I know. Yeah. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You ready for me to lighten things up a bit? Yes, talk about Carol Burnett. Oh, okay. <laughs> please. <laughs> Perfect time for a plug here. Yeah. Because this suggestion comes from someone on our Discord. This is how I found out about this case. And if you're like, oh, my God, what's a Discord? What are you talking about? You've obviously never listened to this podcast. (laughs) First of all, welcome. (laughs) But no, second of all, our Discord is for people who support us on Patreon at the $5 or $7 level. So it's like a 90s chat room where you can just discuss life. You can make case suggestions, discuss the case of the week, post about your pets, which yeah. we always enjoy. We do love that. And at the $7 level, that's the Supreme Court level, Woo. you get highfalutin. all that plus a monthly video and a sticker. That's right. You heard it here first. If this is your first episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So this comes from someone whose username is I88, and she recommended this case. I assume she. Someone. Someone. Recommended this case from when Carol Burnett sued the National Enquirer, and she said, My grandma loves court shows, and when I told her about the podcast, she said, Tell your friends about Carol. Oh, I love that. (laughs) So here we go go excellent let's talk about carol burnett let's okay kind of before our time i mean yeah i'm and by kind i mean like a long time before our time yes but are you familiar with her at all okay absolutely what do you know her from well the carol burnett show was a variety show that she had and she did all kinds of different characters and yeah hugely famous comedian yeah and actress so she was a big comedian in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, she still continues to work. But, yeah, her big show was The Carol Burnett Show. It had songs and comedy sketches, and it made her a huge star. Mm-hmm. Over the years, she's won a ton of Emmys, Golden Globe Awards. She's been nominated for Tonys. And in 2005, she got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Wow. Carol Burnett is a big deal yeah but i'm not here to talk about her showbiz success (laughs) i'm trying to imagine what the national Enquirer would say about her okay yeah let's have a moment here yeah 
So what do you think that the National Enquirer said about her that pissed her off so much that she was like, you know what? I'm going to do something that nobody else is really doing at this time. I'm going to sue. I would think it would have to be something about like her behind the scenes. Like she's horrible to the workers and like just like a nasty person and not at all like the fun loving character that you see on TV. That's not a bad guess. Okay. But I, I know nothing about this case. So yeah, we'll, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about showbiz. No. What we're going to talk about is what really happened one night in January of 1976. Excellent. Are you ready? I am ready. Are you buckled in? Oh. Do you have your pants on? Look, I never not have my pants on, Kristen. When have I ever come here without pants on? You know, I always have to tell you to keep your pants <laughs> <No>. on. <laughs> Okay, but I'm always you know, very appropriately dressed. With the pregnancy lately, <laughs> do you want to tell people how long you held out on maternity pants for some weird reason? Okay, yeah. So I was doing a thing where I was just not convinced that it was time to like <laughs> switch into different pants. So Doesn't your body tell you well, it's time? Well, here, like I, you know, I was in a little bit of not denial. I still like I'm this far in. I haven't gained any weight in my pregnancy, but yeah. my body is a change in. <laughs> And so my pants were very tight. <laughs> and so when we would sit down to record, I'd be like, sorry, Kristen, I have to unbutton my jeans. And so I would do it too in solidarity. <laughs> but now I've got these leggings that come up so damn high. Yeah, I tried to tell you, maternity pants There's, sound I amazing. Know, I don't know why everybody isn't wearing these fucking things. Well, they're basically jeggings, right? Yes. I mean, they're just am- They're so comfortable. All right. All right. <laughs> I will also say that I was getting that same harassment at home from David. (laughs) Hey, when you're getting something from me and at home, then it's just good advice. Okay, picture it. Picture it. What really happened one night in January 1976. Carol Burnett was preparing to perform for President Gerald Ford at the White House. Mm -hmm. And the night before her performance, she and some of her writers went out to this really fancy restaurant in Washington, Mm D.C. They had a lovely time. It was just marvelous. They were all eating and they had had like just a little bit to drink, like a mm-hmm. couple of glasses of wine, mm-hmm. nothing crazy at all. And then they learned that the couple in the booth next to them had just gotten engaged. Oh, yay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, how fun is that? So Carol and her friends were like, oh, congratulations. And by this point, Carol's table had a bunch of desserts. So they were like, hey, do you guys want some souffle? And so like the waiters came by. I think they came by with like extra plates and kind of facilitated. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, fun time. Then, turns out, there was this, like, great, fun family in the booth behind Carol's. Lovely people, just the best. And so Carol offered them some baked Alaska. Again, you know, get the Mm -hmm. plates, you know, okay. I mean, good time was had by all. And Carol walked out on the bill. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, in the same restaurant, Henry Kissinger, who was the U.S. Secretary of State, Uh was sitting nearby. Kissinger or Kissinger? Kissinger. Okay. All right. So Henry Kissinger was there with Lou Wasserman and his wife, Edith. And Carol knew... Edith Wasserman was there? Yes. Is she she someone I should know? No. Oh, God, don't (laughs) scare me like that. (laughs) Don't do that. How do you know the thing to say to me? She was the one person I didn't Google in this entire story. So Carol knew Edith and Lou really well because Lou Wasserman was a big time talent agent. He was the head of a studio. Okay, so on her way out, she stops by, says hello to them, and they introduced her to Harry Kissinger. Here's how the conversation... Henry Kissinger? What did I say? Harry (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. Everyone's name is changing. Here's how the conversation went. Henry said, 
I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at the White House. And Carol said, oh, that's lovely. It's very nice to meet you. Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy, huh? How dare she say something like that? Pretty wild. (laughs) Uh, Then she left. Next day, she performed at the White House. And uh, that is the story. That is some hot dirt for the National Enquirer. Everybody calm down. (laughs) (laughs) I hope no one was driving while they heard that. (laughs) Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. That's it. That's done. What the fuck did the National Enquirer turn that into? Well, I'm glad you asked. So the National Enquirer, as we know, is a very prestigious publication. <laughs> well respected. Yeah, yeah. So it's a tabloid <laughs> for anyone who's like, I assume it's only a U.S. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would assume so. It's like a really shady tabloid. Yeah, very, very. So they wrote a story about what happened that evening. <gasps> what did their story say? I would like to read it to you. Yes, please. The headline read, Carol Burnett and Henry Kay in row. Ooh. So they fought? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just like I told you. Yeah. <laughs> Huge big fight. Okay, here's the article. In a Washington restaurant, a boisterous Carol Burnett had a loud argument with another diner, Henry Kissinger. Then she traipsed around the place offering everyone a bite of her dessert. But Carol really raised eyebrows when she accidentally knocked a glass of wine over one diner and started giggling instead of apologizing. The guy wasn't amused and accidentally spilled a glass of water over Carol's dress. What? Yep. Wow. By that point in her career, Carol had had a ton of untrue stuff written about her. And she'd just always sort of taken it. Yeah. Tabloids tell lies about you. That's the shitty, unavoidable part of being a celebrity. But this article was different. Carol, both then and now, was very anti-alcohol abuse, very anti-drug use. Both of her parents died from alcoholism. So alcoholism and everything that goes along with it was very touchy for Carol. And the fact that she'd been portrayed as being drunk and obnoxious just incensed her. Apparently, she's only been drunk once in her life, and it was in college. Wow. That just, yeah. But what could she do about it? Tabloids have always been pretty shameless about what they print about celebrities, but it was particularly bad back then. They literally printed whatever they wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. And why the hell not? They had the First Amendment to back them up. Plus, it's not like these celebrities ever saw these false stories in the paper and sued them for libel. Until Until now! (laughs) So Carol hated that false story about her. She and everyone in the restaurant that night knew the full story. They knew she hadn't been drunk and obnoxious. So she looked herself in the mirror and she said... Let's go to court. She called up a 33-year-old entertainment lawyer named Barry Langberg. She was in tears when she called him. She told What's him, Barry short for? Hmm. Bartholomew? That's exactly what I was thinking. And David is nodding. I'd probably go by Barry, too. Yeah. Short for sorry, Barry with three R's. That was so stupid. We're keeping it in. <laughs> So she told him she wanted to sue. And he was like, oh, God, I thought you were giving me the flip off there. <laughs> and Barry was like, was giving you my like cutest look, Chris. <laughs> I know you're sitting over here under this mood light. <laughs> you have. Yes. The light above Brandy is out right now. So she's giving me like she's got a basket full of looks. <laughs> Can you describe the look you're giving me right I now? I don't know. I thought I was just showing you how interested I was. No, it's a little weird. <laughs> 
So Carol's like, I want to sue. And Barry's like, uh, are you are you positive? Barry didn't want to do it. Well, he wanted her to know what she was up against. Okay. Because this case was not going to be simple mm-hmm. because she was a public figure. Right. Quick legal detour. Here we go. If you thrust yourself into the limelight. Uh. <laughs> Then reporters and tabloids. That was the sound of thrusting. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I spotted anywhere. (laughs) Then reporters and tabloids have much greater leeway in what they can say about you. And because of that leeway, if a public figure decides to sue them, that case is much harder to win than if, like, Joe Blow down the street Mm -hmm. is like, you caught me thrusting, but, you know. (laughs) Anyway. He should really change his last name. (laughs) Joe Blow. He really should. It's a shame. (laughs) So this all stems back to a major Supreme Court decision from 1964, New York Times versus Sullivan. I will now tell you every detail of that story. Is this, we're getting two cases in one? No, I'm just kidding. That would be terrible. (laughs) No, so, okay, here's the part that's important for Carol Burnett's case. Okay, who's the Sullivan? Do you know? Um, Yeah, I read up briefly. I might do the case. Oh, okay. So just, you know, keep your maternity pants on. (laughs) So hey, these things are hard to get off. They come <laughs> so high. <laughs> is it like a pair of pantyhose where like you? Yeah, you just can't, yeah. I mean, yeah. I could probably get my both arms in there. And Man, <laughs> are they thin? Yeah, up top. Thinking about getting me a pair. (laughs) So for an everyday private citizen to win a defamation case, they just have to prove that the publication published a false defamatory statement about them. Okay. But as a public figure, you've got to do that plus one step further. Carol Burnett had to prove that the Inquirer printed a false defamatory statement about her. And she had to prove that they'd done it with actual malice. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So that means that she had to prove that either the Inquirer knew that the story they were printing was false or that they recklessly what are you are you two making eyes at each other I just looked at him stop flirting in the I middle of our very looked at him it was, it was a flirt I literally looked at him I just talk of thrusting and you two are looking <laughs> at each other this is how you two got into I this mess. Say, I think we got this situation Kristen <laughs> just to note she's looking at David not me well, <laughs> The, the listeners might have been confused. I don't That's think all. anyone was confused. Say it. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying, Norm. That was really important. I will attempt not to make any further eye contact with David for mm. the rest of this recording. Okay, it's not. It wasn't eye contact. It, it was, was eye contact. <laughs> you guys, these were hungry eyes. <laughs> what are the lines of that song? I don't know. Hungry eyes. eyes. <laughs> Between you and I. Oh, Oh, I feel the magic between you and I. Mm. Kristen, Mm. did you feel the magic between me and David? Maybe I did. (laughs) (laughs) Now you made it weird. Okay, so where was I? For I was rudely interrupted by your flirtation. I literally just made eye contact with him. Brandy, this is a professional thing. Okay. She had to prove that the Inquirer knew that they were printing a false story or that they had recklessly disregarded whether it was true or not. And that gray area of whether they recklessly disregarded the truth had to be proven by clear and convincing evidence. Excellent. That will be very difficult to prove. It sure will. Or will it? Well, I mean, you already told us she does it, so... Well, I told you she sued. 
Okay. What are you? Right. Well, yeah. What are you I checking? I think the word "successfully" was in your no, intro. No. No. Mm, okay. I think you just think Maybe success anytime that, you look at me. No. Wasn't was it in the blurb you read us from the Discord? Nope. You sure? Yeah. I think it might have been. <laughs> Shoot. We'll have to. We'll have to censor that part. Dang it. Dang it. I. Like, ate I know it. that I have received a clue that this Hang is on. a successful lawsuit. Uh, no. No. It doesn't say. Well, now I've given it away. <laughs> But no, it doesn't say it doesn't? that. No. Where am I picking up that it, that I thought it was I successful? I just told you. Lawsuit. You look at me and you see success. <laughs> Is Kristen, it the cat tree behind will, me? Is she's the, like about to. She was like getting in pounce mode. She was going to pounce on your head. Well, I might deserve it. <laughs> okay. So Barry explained all this to Carol, and he was like, "Look, it's going to be really tough. Celebrities have sued the Inquirer for defamation before, but they never win." Right. The Inquirer always wiggles out of these lawsuits. Yeah. He said, I told Carol what the pattern was, that the Inquirer would make a lawsuit hard, long, drawn out, and very expensive. Mm-hmm. And she answered, I've got the time, the patience, the resources, and the desire to do it. Damn, Carol. Mm-hmm. So Carol Burnett knew that the stakes were high, but she thought she had a pretty good case. So she sued the National Enquirer for $10 million. Good for her. What year was this? This was 1976. Adjusted for inflation. Yes, please. $45 million. Holy shit, Carol Burnett. Okay, I think that's crazy. That's a lot of money. I mean, yeah, it was not a nice story, but I mean, it wasn't yeah, that yeah. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. Didn't say you took your top off or anything. <laughs> Didn't say she humped Henry Kissinger right there in the restaurant. That's what I was saying. (laughs) So at first the Inquirer was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, we can see you're angry. (laughs) Let's make it better. Please accept the settlement. And she was like, no. Carol Burnett did not need settlement money. Carol Burnett was rich. Yeah. So then the Inquirer took another tactic. Under California law, a newspaper can get itself off the hook for certain libel damages if they publish a retraction that is just as noticeable as the original article. So that's what they did. Okay. In April of 1976, the Inquirer published this. An item in this column on March 2nd erroneously reported that Carol Burnett had an argument with Harry Kissinger at a Washington restaurant and became Came boisterous, disturbing other guests. Kristen, his what? name is Henry Kissinger. What did I say? Did Henry. I say Harry? Oh my God. <laughs> what? There's a weird chip in my brain. When have I ever said Harry Kissinger? <laughs> Twice tonight. I know, I know. Oh, Lord. Lord, help us. So it's drinks from dinner. I had one drink at dinner. It's a strong drink. <laughs> Would you like some of my dessert? (laughs) We understand these events did not occur, and we are sorry for any embarrassment our report may have caused Miss Burnett. Mm. Carol later said, You know what that retraction reminds me of? A hit-and-run driver who hits you, and when you're in the hospital, they send you a bouquet of crabgrass. Oh! Yeah. She was like, "Mm, your retraction means nothing. Yeah. I want a jury trial. Yeah. And that is exactly what she got. Her trial began in 1981 in Los Angeles County. It lasted a little over a week. It was the first time a libel case against the National Enquirer went to trial. Brandy. No, there's no word like successful thrown in here. I don't know what made me think that you would. You're just one big spoiler alert. (laughs) 
So Carol Burnett obviously was amazing on the witness stand. She was charming. Like anytime we do anything with celebrities, they're always great. Yeah. The folks for the Inquirer. Not so much. Not not so polished. (laughs) not, Not so friendly. Not so great. Pretty quickly, the truth came out. That bullshit story about Carol getting drunk and obnoxious had come from a paid informant. A what? A paid informant. What did I say? What? No, I'm sure that's exactly what you heard. I heard pagan in there. (laughs) You didn't expect that twist, did you? Yeah, that's why I told you to keep your pants on. (laughs) But the thing is, the pagan informant (laughs) had only told the Inquirer that Carol had been like kind of loud and that she'd offered people some of her souffle. They'd never mentioned Harry Kissinger or... (laughs) Okay, that time I did it on purpose to be hilarious. <laughs> and he specifically said that she was not drunk. When a reporter for the Inquirer tried to do some fact-checking, the only thing they found out was that, yeah, Carol had shared some of her souffle, and at one point she stopped and talked to Henry Kissinger. Mm-hmm. But the fact-check didn't turn up anything for her being in some drunken fight. Right. And in fact, two restaurant employees said that they talked to the Inquirer, and they said, no, she was not drunk. Wow. Uh-huh. So this is how she's going to prove it, because even all it those people said it. sounds pretty actually yeah. malicey to it me. Does. <laughs> okay, I just got the image of push up your glass. <laughs> actually malice. Actually <laughs> <laughs> So Henry Kissinger didn't testify at trial, but he did. What about Harry Kissinger? I don't know. His brother, his brother was available. (laughs) And they were like, we don't want you, Harry. (laughs) So he did submit to a deposition and he was like, yeah, Carol was perfectly ladylike. You know, why am I here? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Apparently the reporter who was asked to do the fact check about the piece was asked to do so one hour before deadline. Oh, wow. When time was up, he didn't feel great about it. But, you know, the time was up. (laughs) Yeah. Which I do feel bad for this guy because Mm -hmm. although the National Enquirer, like they published this thing months after it happened. So I don't see why it was such a like, oh, we got to get it in now. But anyway. Just a real missed opportunity for a very dirty job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of feel for the guy because... You know, it well, kind of all gets put on his shoulders when a little bit, but yeah. also like you know, kind of like with this podcast, we don't go because we're ready; we go because it's Wednesday. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. So some Inquirer employees did say that when the story was written, they believed it to be accurate; they trusted the source. Mm-hmm. But Steve Tenney was the guy whose byline actually ran with the piece, and he said that he didn't trust the source and that in actuality he hadn't written the piece. What? An editor wrote the piece. Wow. Yeah. How often does that happen? So I don't know how often that happens, but I have been in situations before. <laughs> well, in in the newspaper I used to work mm-hmm. at, we had an editor who you would go home and sometimes he'd just mess with your story. Yeah. And I mean... And so what gets put out is with your byline on it, but maybe not right. what you... Okay. Right. Yeah. And... I don't think, I mean, he never intentionally put in errors, but when you're going in and messing with someone's story and they're not there to look, obviously errors happen. Absolutely. I'm still mad about it. Don't worry, it was only like 12 years ago. (laughs) I'll be over it any day. Yeah, yeah. Give it a good 15 years, I'll be fine. I remember one time. Oh, no. This is a stupid story. Okay, okay. I'm I'm moving on. You're fired up. You're so fired up. What an ass. 
Yes. What else? You find out that he messed with your story the next day when you pick up the paper. (laughs) How vain are you that you're going in and reading your own story, Kristen? You had to because people would (laughs) call and yell at you and be like, that didn't happen. And you'd be like, I didn't write that. Oh, wait. Oh, apparently I did. So I could tell tell so many lame stories right now that no one would be interested in. So in a deposition, an editor for the Inquirer admitted that he hadn't trusted the source for the story. Yeah. And that he'd written the thing himself. Wow. He'd just rewritten it. Okay. Which sounds exactly like my old editor. (laughs) Oh, no. Are we here again? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I thought I'd worked through the trauma. (laughs) Obviously not. Uh, he wasn't a bad guy that just pissed me off yeah. i'm o- over it now are you i'm so good now <laughs> so zen look at so me zen. i'm in one of those i'm doing downward facing dog or whatever. right now yeah, right now as we record because <laughs> i'm so zen okay is it downward dog or downward facing dog i don't know it's just downward dog oh yeah. well kristen's facing <laughs> I'm doing she's an actually, extra step. I'm she's very actually advanced. doing that bulldog dance that she pretended not to know anything about. <laughs> when it came time for the Inquirer to defend itself, they didn't bother pretending that the story had been accurate. You know, they'd already done the retraction. They admitted right. it was so wrong. The tactic is to say it wasn't done with malice, right? right. It was just an actual error. malice. Yes. <laughs> They were like, hey, we had this informant. We thought he was reliable. And uh, the hardworking journalists at the Inquirer tried their best to fact check the piece. And later, when they learned that they'd made an oopsie daisy, they printed a retraction. What more do you want? Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, if you look closely at the piece, you'll see that we never actually came out and said that Carol was drunk. Really? I mean it. Technically, they never said she was drunk, but if she's getting into a fight and spilling wine, yeah. and I, I mean, you know, yeah. Carol the later said a sixth sure. grader could make that leap, yeah. you know. So, and you know, even if we had said that she was drunk, we're just the National Enquirer. We have no power. We can't negatively affect Carol Burnett's career or reputation. Wow. In his closing argument, the National Enquirer's lawyer, William Masterson, took the high road. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. You what ready? Did you ready for the high road? You buckled up. <laughs> he said, "I speak not only for a client, but also for a principal, and that is the freedom of the press. Your right to know. There are some who may feel that some news is more important than other. <laughs> According to the Supreme Court, news is news. Oh my! Period. Gosh." Mm-hmm. Are you with that? <laughs> In other words, whether it's the National Enquirer or the New York Times, it's all news. And according to the highest court in the land, it should all get equal protection. Uh-huh. Which I do see how this can get into a slippery slope yeah, argument when we're too. saying that, you know, Gawker sucks. We hate Gawker. So we're going to come down hard on them. But I just, I'm sorry. I worked for a newspaper. That's not news, what yeah, they're doing. No. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. The National Enquirer, not news. <laughs> Hot take, we're going to get a lot of letters from very angry grandmas. I-88's grandma is going to be pissed when she hears this. So, like I said, Carol had originally wanted $10 million, but I think her attorney was like, hey, let's scale that down a bit. Asked for $1.5 million. Okay. Did you adjust that for inflation? No, I didn't. I figured we'd just have to go with it. You know? <laughs> so, here's something interesting uh, about this trial. About $4 million. Hmm. 
tenths, right? One tenth. You're asking me a math question. Yeah, it'd be one tenth. Okay, very good, Brandy. Might be wrong, but I will now give you the Nancy Pelosi yes! clap. I do like her clap. I do. I know nothing's happening with the impeachment, but I like her clap. Okay, so everyone was following this trial, particularly celebrities were following it. Yeah, because they're like, oh, she gonna win this? Yeah, exactly. I got a shot? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They were like, oh, they've been saying shit about me. (laughs) So one of the celebrities who was really concerned about this case was Johnny Carson. So on The Tonight Show, he talked about the lawsuit and he just railed against the National Enquirer because they just published a story saying that he and his wife were headed for divorce and it pissed him off. Uh Uh-huh. So he was like, they're liars. I hate them. Go, Carol. Go, Carol. Go. Go, Carol. Go, Carol. Go. <laughs> Norman just gave me a look like he was so, so in love. So in love. No, I think that was a look of embarrassment, Kristen. That was a parody of Go Ninja, Go Ninja. Yes. The yes. Vanilla Ice song yeah, from, from Ninja Turtles. Secret and it was of the beautifully East. done by your wife. <laughs> Was it a look of love or embarrassment? What a we need you to what be a lucky right man. Could it be both? Could it be both? <laughs> no, it can't be both. No, he's embarrassed by how much he loves you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. So, you know, Johnny Carson's on The Tonight Show being like, I hate the National Enquirer. They suck. Love you, Carol. And because of what Johnny said, two jurors had to be excused because they were like, oh, yeah, we watched that. Oh, my god. <laughs> or we heard about it. Yeah. So they were out. And with just one alternate to fill in, a jury of 11 people deliberated for two days or four days, depending on which source you look at. They ultimately sided with Carol Burnett. Ooh. As Brandy predicted. I think you told us. <laughs> <laughs> they awarded her $1.6 million in damages. Wow. So to break it down, they awarded her $300,000 in general damages, which I don't think they call them general damages yeah. anymore. Actual damages. Maybe. I bet that's what they would call them now. Yeah. And- Actually, they now call them actual Actually damages. damages. <laughs> <laughs> and $1.3 million in punitive damages. Ooh. So the jury had spoken. The National Enquirer had knowingly printed false defamatory statements about Carol Burnett. Mm-mm-mm. Not nice, not okay. <laughs> Under California law, only nine members of the jury had to agree. But in this case, the decision was unanimous. Well, the National Enquirer was real sorry. Like, so sorry. (laughs) So sad. They were like, we did you wrong. Here's your money. No, they weren't. No. (laughs) They appealed. (laughs) As soon as the jury's decision came down, the attorney for the inquirer vowed to appeal. Yeah, he like jumped up Uh and ran out of the courtroom. Appeal! Yes! He said that the jury's verdict was an affront to the First Amendment. Okay. And that it was almost the equivalent of capital punishment for a corporation. Wow, that is a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Will we go to the funeral of the corporation? (laughs) Do we send flowers? (laughs) We send a bouquet of crabgrass. That's right. Oh, (laughs) Worth noting, the trial judge actually reduced the jury's award. Oh, really? Yeah, so the jury wanted to give her 1.6, but the judge reduced it. Reduced it. You guys, that's actually a legal term. I know it from law school. It's when you were dirt something. 
It means reduce, but you sound smarter when you say it. Jerst redurst. So <laughs> the judge reduced it to $800,000. So the National Enquirer appealed, of course. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Irma> Gertie, <we're> <laughs> That's what Carol Burnett said. That's what Johnny Carson said too. <laughs> so the Inquirer appealed. It was a long process, dragged out several years, and I'm just gonna sum it up quickly and we're gonna throw some details to the wind. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The Inquirer claimed that the jury had gotten incorrect instructions on how to award punitive damages, that the retraction they published should have given the Inquirer greater protection, and that mean old Johnny Carson had poisoned the jury. Mm-hmm. But the appellate court was like, eh, not really. Nope. Yeah. Get out of here. We're finding against you on those three arguments. P.S. So do you remember the retraction thing that they did about, like, put the retraction in a place that's equally noticeable yes. as the article? That was a California law uh-huh. that applied to newspapers. And this appellate court was like, you're not a newspaper. <laughs> get, get out of here. <laughs> but then came the fourth argument. And the fourth argument was that the punitive damages, even though they'd been reduced by the judge, reduced by the judge, <laughs> were still way too much. Uh-huh. This was something that legal analysts had kind of already said. When the verdict came out, everyone was like, oh, great. But legal analysts were like, wow, that's kind of a lot. Yeah. And so the speculation was that it was because Carol Burnett is so likable mm-hmm. and the National Enquirer is so hateable. Yeah. And that's how they got to that amount. Right. So the appellate court said, you know what? That award was excessive. We're going to reduce it to $150,000 in punitive damages and fifty grand in Actual damages. Actual damages. So Carol Burnett had a choice. She could either get a new trial or she could work out a settlement. Mm -hmm. In December of 1984, eight years. Oh my gosh, this did stretch on. It lasted forever. We're practically alive by now. I know. That's a good (laughs) one. Just give it like a year. So Carol Burnett settled. The terms were confidential. Ugh. Well, no, it's still a victory for her. I, I mean, hate confidential settlements. I think it was probably like two hundred grand. I mean, You're that's just guessing. I mean, it just seems like yeah. I am just guessing. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'm just guessing. But anyway, the important thing is, as soon as she got the money, she donated it to journalism departments at the University of Hawaii and Berkeley. That's awesome. The lawsuit was never about money. It was about sending a message. She said, if they'd given me $1 plus car fare, I'd have been happy because it was the principle. She's the referring car fare. Car fare? Like money to compensate your transportation? Oh. What? Brandy. <laughs> Who calls it car fare? It might be more of a city term. I, I don't know. Have you never heard car fare? No. You too. Car fare? They're totally not listening. Is that a term you guys are familiar with? Car fare? Let me read you a sentence. Okay. If they'd given me $1 plus car fare, I'd have been happy because it was the principal. Oh, so paid for her taxi? Yeah. 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 Hmm. I've heard that before. Wow. Wow, Brandy. (laughs) Brandy, my gosh. Hmm. I'm sorry I'm not familiar with your big city terms. (laughs) (laughs) We got a classic country mouse and city mouse vibe. (laughs) 
So I do want to say when she said that she was talking about the jury, uh-huh. you know, it wasn't about like getting money from the inquirers yeah, yeah, yeah. about a jury side. Yeah. She said they didn't give a darn about my rights as a human being. I didn't do a thing to the National Enquirer. They did it to themselves. Ooh. Her lawsuit sparked a bunch of other similar lawsuits in the tabloids. Okay. Some articles I think kind of overstate the effect this lawsuit had. It did have a big effect on tabloid journalism and I think it showed celebrities that they could stand up for themselves. Uh-huh. But I mean, it dragged on so long. I don't know that it encouraged that yeah. many people. And it's not like we don't have tabloids today. Okay, well, I just ended that on a real downer. Great, Kristen. Anyway, and that's basically the Carol Burdett did nothing for anyone. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> And that's the story of when Carol Burnett... You're welcome, I-88's grandma! (laughs) (laughs) Successfully sued the National Enquirer. Successfully, Brandy. There. It's at the end of the script, which is where you put that information. (laughs) Not all willy-nilly in the middle. (laughs) My goodness. I enjoyed that very much until you shat all over Carol Burnett at the end. (laughs) (laughs) What about Harry Kissinger? (laughs) A lot of people don't know about him. A lot of people don't know their history is the problem. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they only know about Henry. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Oh, yes, Norm? We also learned a new law term, redurst. 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 You know, some people are attorneys who listen to this. Um, some people are in law school, so make sure you... Mention that next time you're in court, people are going to be really impressed. I was hoping to get a reduced sentence. <laughs> you mean reduced? No. No. No, reduced. you dumb dumb. <laughs> Learn this on my favorite podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Do we have questions from the Discord room? Yes. Ooh, oh my. We got people up late with us? Ooh, this I is, did say well, it this is, is obviously after dark. After dark. Uh, obviously. Mean, <laughs> people have to know. When I can't say words, it's after dark. Uh, well, let's get this one out of the way because we are recording this on January 1st, 2020. Many people mm. have asked this. Ooh. Your New Year's resolutions. Ooh. Do you have one, Kristen? Oh, gosh, I hadn't really thought of it. So I don't have any, like, real specific resolutions, but, like, I have little, like, goals to get ready for baby. Yeah, what do you have? It's kind of like, you know, I got to, like, get the house ready and all that stuff, so. This hand gesture was, like, start the waterfall. I was, I was like, doing, like, a, that's a passage of time. Yeah, So, okay. like, each month I'm going to have, like, a goal to work towards so that when the baby is here, I'm, you know, prepared for it. Okay. It's very overwhelming. <laughs> Well, you finally got pants that, that work, so that's good. I can think good. so much better now that I have these pants. 
You know, I think for me, it's going to be I'm working on my second book and I want to have a draft that I like by the end of this year. Excellent. Yeah. So this one's for Brandy. Ooh. Ooh. We all know Brandy's belief that she could easily be roped into a cult. We do know that. Yes. Brandy, what cult, either past or still active, would you rather be brainwashed by? Ooh. Ooh. Is there one where you just like, you know. No. No, there's not one where like you sit around and sing songs or like. Sounds great. All cults are bad. I know. Okay, so I wouldn't do like Heaven's Gate because the shaving the head and the wearing the jumpsuit, I couldn't handle that. It's all about the shaved head, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I do not have a face for a shaved head. (laughs) (laughs) No, I feel like Manson family pre-murders. I think I could have like what they just they just had a bunch of sex and did a bunch of drugs and lived on that movie ranch. They thought a race riot was coming <laughs> and they wanted to get in dune about, buggies uh, and find pits to hide in. No, it wasn't just sex. I mean, they all of them had sexually transmitted disease because they were just banging everybody. I mean, I believe it, but. <laughs> <laughs> No, I probably wouldn't pick that one either. They didn't play in the Beatles again. You'd be like, do we have to listen And they didn't really shower. So (laughs) that one's not for me either. (laughs) So in other words, Brandy has to think long and hard about which cult she'll join. I'm pretty sure that the guy who played the hot guy in 10 Things I Hate About You. Heath Ledger. What? Heath Ledger. No, no, the hot guy. Uh, How dare you? Andrew Keegan or whatever his name is. Mm. Is that his name? Okay, well, he was Andrew hot Keenan? Too. I don't remember his name, but the, he was like the snobby. Yeah, yeah, I he know. Like Joey. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty sure he has started a cult. <laughs> He's claiming it's a church, but I'm pretty sure it's a cult. I'd probably hang out with him. <laughs> Good choice. Yes. Andrew Keegan. Keegan. Okay, I was right. See? Yeah, he played mm. the hot guy Joey in 10 Things I Hate About You, and he has started he had a church. beautiful hair. Which is definitely... You and your hair... No, he had crunchy hair. So did Heath Ledger. Well, I was a fan. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he started a church, and I'm pretty sure it's a cult. Oh, he so. did have very crunchy hair, <laughs> didn't he? Yes. But beautiful skin. Yeah, he did have beautiful skin. You know, he does not look great today, I will say. Well, since Brandy got her own question, I'll give Kristen uh, yeah. her own question. You don't want to start a fight between us. Kristen, are you able to give us any hints on what your book is about? Sure. It's um, a chiclet book called Second Best, and it's kind of a coming-of-age story set in a girl's senior year of college, and it starts with her older, much more successful sister has just gotten engaged, and meanwhile, the protagonist is like a loser virgin. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all about, like, how do I catch the fuck up really fast? Hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. Uh, your dad responded, oh, by the way, and said, she won't even let her dad read it, so I'm guessing it's filthy. You know what? That's a good good guess, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> good DP commentary mm, in the Discord. It's a, uh, erotica. <laughs> oh, God. We'll end with this final question. All right. Mm. Uh, for both of you, what childhood fear... For example, darkness. Wait, who asked it? Flieger133. What childhood fear still creeps you out the most? Mm. Okay, I have so many fears. I Like, how do I not live in a bubble? But, okay, I have... <laughs> okay, first I'm going to tell you an embarrassing Well, you do live fear. in a bubble. It's the Johnson, County bubble. Johnson County bubble. We appreciate no, you coming out. I have, out. like, an embarrassing fear when I was a child. What was that? Um, <laughs> So dumb. Okay, I had this fear that I was going to 
so I loved to go to the swimming pool, like the public swimming pool, mm-hmm. and I loved to go off the diving boards. But I had this fear, once I got into the deep end, that a shark was going to come up out of the bottom <laughs> of the pool and get me. So I would jump in and I'd swim as fast as I fucking could to that ladder and get out. You know, I mean, a shark couldn't get me. Did you look around for sharks first? Yeah. Before jumping in? Yeah. Obviously, Norman. Don't but be... then they'd still appear and For get the record, you. I was a very small child when I had that fear. Ah. No more than nine. I also was very scared of vampires when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie when I was like six and had horrible nightmares after it like so vivid that I can remember them to this day like the scariest nightmare I've ever had in my life and so I would go to bed at night and I would be so worried that a vampire was going to come in my bedroom that I'd have to convince myself to be able to fall asleep so I'd have to like convince myself that I put if I put my blanket up like perfectly and covered Mm -hmm. my neck with it a vampire wouldn't be able to bite me when they came in my room and that's why I'd have to lay there perfectly still with my blanket all the way up to like my chin and that's how I would fall asleep. You and I have very similar tactics. The way I would fall asleep, and sometimes I still do it Uh because it's a good tactic for falling asleep, is like, okay, I get freaked out. Bad guy's in my house. Uh If I stay perfectly still, don't move a muscle, he can't see me, and I'm safe. And to this day, I will fall asleep that way. (laughs) There you go. But I don't have any of those fears to this day. So to answer the question, really the only fear, I obviously... Ugh, I have the hiccup, sorry. Spiders and clowns. I've been scared of clowns since I was a very small child, and I'm still scared of them today. What if a clown <laughs> jumped into the pool? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, their makeup would run, so. That'd be even scarier. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I still have the fear of, you know, that urban legend of like the snake coming up the toilet. Oh, that's a real fucking thing. Don't, that's not an urban don't legend, say that. Christine. Don't say that to me. Every time. I mean, I know this is supposed to be about like dumb stuff we thought when we yeah. were kids, but I'm still a dumb kid. Apparently. That's a real fear. Anytime I'm on the toilet a little too long, sometimes I just, you know, do a yeah. little squat check. No, so far no snakes. There was an episode of the X Files when I was a kid that scared the shit out of me. There was this porta potty monster mm-hmm. that was like, oh no, that was in porta potties and it would like come up and eat people or kill people. I don't really know what it did, but I, when I was a little kid, I was afraid to use a porta potty because I thought that you should be afraid to use gonna, a porta potty. I am still afraid to use porta potties today, but that's a lot more about germs <laughs> and smells, <laughs> less about monsters. <laughs> bonus points if anybody remembers that episode of the X Files. What's the cash value of these bonus points? Uh, TBD. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we do some Supreme Court inductions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm definitely ready for oh, that. Oh, Brandy, you know, we do it at the end of every episode. Is this new? Uh, yeah, I'm totally... Hold on. Yeah, so... How's that work? How do you get inducted? What's the Supreme Really? Court? You don't remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, okay, everyone, I'm going to angrily tell you about this great opportunity to be your own boss. I'm sorry, I went into the wrong speech. <laughs> Let me tell you about my new multi-level marketing. <laughs> hey, they don't call it a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> no, these are our Supreme Court inductions. They're for people who have signed up to support us on Patreon at the Supreme Court level. So they get inducted on the podcast. They get a sticker. They get bonus episodes. They get into the Discord. They get bonus videos every month it's a ton of fun join us won't you and oh look at that brandy has pulled up her correct document. that just sound like you're inviting them into a cult chris join us won't you <laughs> we're you your family now your head, we promise <laughs> <laughs> this week we're continuing with everyone's favorite beverage kristen what do you want people to do during uh 
inductions this week? I want all of you to think about the great contributions that Harry Kissinger has made to this <laughs> nation of ours. All right? All okay, right. great. Emily Mujayas. Honey Lavender Lattes. That, I've never even heard of that. Well, she didn't have to clear it with you. It's I, her thing. <laughs> I'm interested. It sounds very interesting. Caitlin Jill Johnson Baxter. Fountain Diet Coke preferably from McDonald's. She continued that they have a proprietary recipe. It's true. Fountain drinks from McDonald's taste different from fountain drinks anywhere else. Can confirm. Yes. Well, specifically Coke products. Coke products, yeah. Uh, Are Sprite, they better? Yes. Sprite oh. and Coca-Cola. I believe it's because they're delivered in like chilled cakes. It is. It's chilled the entire time. And then their straw is made specifically to give you the exact mix of like the right amount to hit your tongue. And exactly. It's it's a whole science. Are you guys trying to get a sponsorship with McDonald's <laughs> after that terrible case I did about them a few No, it's legit. Back. It's Whenever I, legit I want a thing. Coke, I always go to McDonald's. Yeah. It's the best Coke. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Caitlin. Sorry about that tangent. Emily Horton. Creamer with a splash of coffee. <laughs> Mariah Cavanaugh. Ranch water. Tequila, triple sec, and Topo Chico. Mmm. Mm. Mm. Sounds pretty good. Bethany Trosper. Hibiscus LaCroix. I'm sorry, Kiki just attacked my foot. <laughs> <laughs> oh great does it taste like a flower burped in your water <laughs> she said don't come for me how dare you come for her brandy de Leon. black cherry white claws because there ain't no laws when, when you're, you're drinking, drinking the claws, claws. <laughs> crystal brown McAllister's iced tea brooklyn diet dr pepper Evan Bronco. Hot butter beer from the wizarding world of Harry Potter in Orlando. Don't make Brandy jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Ashley Hopper. Apple Cider. Samantha J. Dr. Pepper. Ariel. Pinot Noir. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to the Supreme Court. Court. Oh my gosh, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. <laughs> Do you guys want to mention the Christmas cards and the gifts you guys got? In the no, year, not at all. Thank you, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, we should we mention. We definitely want to. Thank you to everyone who sent us holiday cards and nice notes. It was yeah. totally unexpected. Yeah, but we loved it. We, we went to the P.O. Box and, man. Yeah, we got lots of love. We appreciate it. Super unexpected was, and I'm not totally sure, this person didn't include a note with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to include her name right now. And, you know, if she wants us to bleep it, we'll bleep it. I'll, yeah. I'll find out who yeah. she is somehow, some way. Some way. Thank you, Julia, for sending us all these fun sodas. Yeah. She sent us banana soda, which we have not tried yet, but I'm so excited. I'm so excited to try it. And then what, what was the stuff that you said, Norm? Uh, Ramune Japanese soda. Yeah, yeah that looks amazing. Strawberry delicious. flavored. And David is drinking right now the butterscotch root beer. Yes. Oh, and he, man, he's kind of Vanna Whiting it right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he, he's lost points because he's not in a sequin gown, but, you know, we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. I tried it. It was really good. Yeah. So thank yeah, you thank so you much. That was so kind. Those. That was amazing. And fun story. That box was very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, that was a heavy box. <laughs> yeah, Norman came out of the post office sweating. <laughs> it was weird, though, because he, he lifted up like a boom box on his yeah, shoulder. That's exactly how he was carrying it, actually. <laughs> He's a real tough man, Brandy. <laughs> Hate to tell you. 
He looked like those guys from uh, Teen Witch. <laughs> don't bring, uh, don't mention yes. Teen Witch, my Teen God. Witch. <laughs> okay, for everyone. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you're not. <laughs> if you want to get with me, I'll give it one shot. <laughs> okay. Literally everyone but you two is like, what's Teen Witch? No, what are you two talking about? Wrong. False. Wrong. Fake news. Okay, what is it then, guys? It's an amazing movie. Oh, the best um, rap really? scene you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> the freshest, funkiest hip hop song you will ever hear. Okay, Brady, are you going to wrap this episode up or what? Oh, yeah. Well, you already made fun of me, so. I'm I know, even... but I like to make fun, but I do it with love. <laughs> That's how we express love in our culture. That's right. In our cult. <laughs> no, thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, Patreon. And uh, then once you've done all that, please uh, head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and then leave us a rating or review on uh, Apple Podcasts and be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the Washington Post, The Atlantic, The New York Times, and Wikipedia. And I got my info from an article by Benjamin H. Smith for Oxygen, The Lawrence Journal World, and The Court Record. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 